0: Father in heaven, it's been the desire of our hearts as we've studied these closing scenes of the life of Christ to follow the leader. And Father, we recognize that there, that there are times that that is not easy. but We trust you, Lord. We trust the decisions that you make for our lives. Bless us, Father, we ask. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In the end of the Sabbath... As it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment was white as snow, And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples, that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. He is not here, for he has risen. Amen? You will notice as we have progressed through this series of studies that scene by scene, things have gotten progressively darker. There was the weight of what was coming before him that was laid on Jesus' shoulders as he sat in the upper room with the disciples partaking in the communion service while the disciples were there bickering amongst themselves. The darkness increased as he left that place of communion with his disciples to battle it out with his heavenly Father in the prayer chamber in the garden of Gethsemane. Things began to get darker as the mob came and cruelly treated Jesus, dragging him from that place, that sacred sanctuary of prayer, and dragged him through the streets of the city to go through six cruel trials where he would not only be verbally abused but physically abused. Things got darker as the dawn came the next morning, Friday morning, He stood before the Sanhedrin to hear the pronouncement of condemnation ultimately from them and then from Pilate. Things got darker as he was beaten within an inch of his life and then had a cruel cross laid on his shoulders. And then the darkness intensifies as darkness physically falls upon the earth Shrouds the cross and the city people fall with fear thinking that the world has come to an end and as Jesus cries out it is finished The ground begins to shake thunder and lightning begins to roll and men think that the end of the world has come But salvation has been purchased Jesus rests for a few days few hours In early Sunday morning, as the Bible tells us, that angel comes with light. Because now the scene has changed from a scene of darkness, from a scene of agony, from a scene of depression, to a scene of joyful expectation and light that shines from heaven because salvation has come to this world. For those of us that go through the crisis at the close, the darkness is only going to intensify. As the closing scenes of earth's history take place, as has been recorded in the books of Daniel and Revelation, it gets darker and darker progressively. Until, as the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 16, darkness physically falls upon the earth. But those of us who are keen to the understanding of the chronology of the crisis at the close in the life of Jesus, know that the darkness precedes the light. And those who go through the crisis at the close, they do not focus on the darkness, but they focus on the light that is soon to come from heaven as Jesus comes with all of the holy angels with him to descend upon this earth to redeem fallen men. funny to me, that religious leaders and political leaders thought that they could keep Christ in a grave. They put their puny little seal on that grave there and set a few Roman guards around there to watch over it. David tells us, in Psalms chapter 2 and verse 4. From God's perspective, as he looks down upon this tomb with the guards surrounding it and his son laying within it, trying to keep him in that grave, David says, he that sitteth in heaven shall laugh. There's a time for laughter, isn't there? And as God looks down upon the earth at that time, there's a chuckle that spreads a smile that spreads across his face as he sees humanity trying to keep his son in a grave. It was impossible. And so it will be impossible for Satan to hold God's people here upon this earth. When Jesus comes to redeem his own, it will be impossible. I don't care how hard men may work. All of human energy, time, and devotion may be put to the task of trying to keep humanity, sou- uh, the, 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 the redeemed, those who follow the land here on this earth, and they will fail. Because we serve a powerful God. As we have read time and time again over our time together in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 4, This text, I pray that it will ring in your mind for quite some time. We've read it for every scripture reading. I'm sure you're looking forward to a new scripture reading. We've read it numerous times in our study together. But if there's anything that you forget from this series, I pray that it will not be this Bible passage. These are they which follow the Lamb. Wherever he goes, those who follow the lamb through the garden, with the mob, through the trials, through the cross, those who follow the lamb wherever he goes will have triumph to look forward to. Amen? They will have victory because there is victory In Jesus I wonder what it was like to see that angel perched on that tombstone that had been rolled back empty inside where the Redeemer of the world had once laid resting for a few short hours I wonder what it was like to see the expression on Mary's face as she heard from Gabriel The angel of the Lord who comforted Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane as she heard him say, he is not here for he is risen. Just as he said. Right, Jesus had promised this numerous times that he would rise again. But what did the disciples do with that promise? We are told that it was banished out of their minds as if Jesus had never even said it. How many times in Scripture has the Bible promised us that Jesus will come again? Over 2,500 times in Scripture, the second coming of Christ is referred to. And I believe that it's the promise of Christ's second coming that will sustain us. Let us not follow the example of the disciples who forgot the promise that Jesus would rise again Just as he said, let us not follow that example, but let us follow the promises of God as we go through that dark hour, as it seems like we have been eclipsed from God and that the world has turned their back on us. Let us not forget the promises of God. I will come again. Jesus told them that he would rise on the third day. And he had not forgotten his promise. For our God never forgets his promises. When we go through the crisis at the close, and it seems like we're going to fail, let us not forget that promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. As the world turns their back on us, let us not forget that promise. I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. These are the promises that we need to hold on to for those who follow the Lamb wherever they go will have triumph to look forward to. They have tunnel vision. The world is darkness. Trials are all around them, but they have tunnel vision. The triumph is soon to come. Matthew Henry commenting on the resurrection, he makes this statement. The doctrine... Of Christ's death and resurrection is at the foundation of Christianity. Remove this foundation and the whole fabric falls apart. All our hopes for eternity sink at once. And it is by holding this truth firmly, listen to this, that Christians are made to stand in a day of what? Trial and kept faithful to God. What keeps us faithful and helps us to stand in the day of trial? It's holding firmly to the truth that Jesus is no longer in Joseph's new tomb. He has risen, just as he said. Go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. For those of you that have gone to many Bible prophecy seminars, perhaps the first thing that comes into your mind when you go to 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection. And indeed, Paul talks about the resurrection in the latter part of that chapter, the resurrection that happens at the second coming of Jesus. But he starts the chapter by referring to the gospel as it relates to the resurrection of Christ and as that connects to the resurrection that will come in the last days. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, the Bible says this, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand. So he's declaring unto the Corinthian church the gospel, the good news, and it is good news because there is so much bad going on in this world today. Verse 2, he says this, by which also you are what? Saved. The gospel, the good news, and he's going to define it for us here in a minute, is, uh, he says, by which you are saved. Now, it's not just a hearing of that gospel that saves us, but it's a practical application of that gospel in my life. If ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Verse three: I, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our what? A sins according to. Scripture. So he's defining for us this gospel that brings salvation. And he starts off by saying, Listen, this is not something of my own devising. I am passing on what has been given to me, and I'm passing on what I have studied in Scripture that Christ died for our sins. Verse 4, he goes on, and that he was buried, and that he what? rose again the third day, and then he says again, according to, I'm not making this up, he says. Jesus fulfilled prophecy, and he he shared these prophecies with the Corinthian church uh, that were fulfilled that as Jesus was uh, crucified and buried and ultimately rose again. He is basing this off of the authoritative document of Scripture. And as he's defining for us the gospel here, he defines it in three phases, the death, the burial, and ultimately the resurrection of Jesus with the resurrection being the most important part. And then he gives evidence. Verse 5, he says, And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, and after that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this, present, unto, uh, unto this present. But some are fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen of James, and then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. As if the weight of Scripture was not enough, now he quotes eyewitness accounts, Over 500 people, he said, saw Jesus for themselves. And he says the greater part of these people still remain unto this day. And if you don't take my word for it, if you don't take the authoritative document of Scripture for it, go and talk to those eyewitnesses for yourself, and they will tell you what they saw and what they heard. Our Savior is no longer in a grave. He is ministering for us and for the world. I would submit to you this morning that the gospel of the New Testament rests upon the validity of the resurrection. Without the resurrection, it's like a house of cards. It all falls apart if you don't have a resurrection. Notice what Paul says in verse 14 of the same chapter. He goes on and he says, and if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is what? We might as well close up shop. There's no sense in even doing this stuff anymore. He says, if Christ is not risen, our preaching is in vain, and your faith also is what? What are you trusting in? It's cunningly devised fables without the resurrection of Jesus. He says it's vain, which means without content. It is devoid of truth, in a sense. If Christ is not risen from the dead the third day, it makes him something that we really don't like to think about. When somebody says they're going to do something and then they don't do it, what do you you call that person? It's a liar, right? If Christ said, I will die and then rise again on the third day, and he died and didn't rise again on the third day, what do we call that? And what do we do when liars make promises? You don't believe in them. Who cares if he said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. He didn't raise from the dead. What use is this promise? There is no comfort in this promise because it's a promise that is spoken by one who cannot fulfill his very own words. Without the resurrection, The gospel is devoid of meaning in this world. And as I said, we might as well close up shop. It is the bedrock. It is the foundation. And it is because Jesus rose from the dead that I can be comforted in this world today. It is because Jesus rose from the dead that I believe with every fiber of my being that he is going to come again the second time. And it's because Jesus rose again that I believe he is able to help me have victory in my life. Without the resurrection, it all falls apart. Some intelligent individual who was a professor at Harvard, Dr. Simon Greenleaf, made this statement. He said, according to the laws... Of legal evidence used in the courts of law, there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than for just about any other event in history. If you're an atheist, you got to get around this because there is so much evidence, not just scriptural evidence, not just, uh, you know, uh, prophecies that have been so-called fulfilled as we believe them as Christians. There is is an enormous amount of physical evidence as 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 you examine the historical account of the resurrection. I was just reading a document this past week. 28 reasons why the resurrection happened. And there are multiple other ones. Paul goes on, he says this in verse 17. And if Christ be not risen, he's continuing to make his case here. Your faith is in vain. He's repeating himself. But then he goes on and he says this. Ye are yet in your sins. Can you imagine what that would be like? What a miserable thought. You are yet in your sins. Do you know what it feels like when you do something that you know you shouldn't do? That feeling of guilt that we all have experienced in our lives? Can you imagine having to carry around the guilt of all of your sins that you've ever committed in your entire life? How would that make you feel? Suicidal? Life's not worth living, right? The good news is this morning that as Christians, we don't have to carry around that guilt. And it's because Jesus rose from the dead that we can have forgiveness for our sins and put that guilt to the side. Somebody ought to say amen to that. That's what makes life worth living. That's what puts a smile on the Christian's face. Because those out there who do not have the assurance and the good news that forgiveness is available for their sins that they have committed, they carry around that burden of guilt on their shoulders. But for those of us who know about our Redeemer, who lives and ever intercedes on our behalf, we can let that that burden of guilt lift off of our shoulders as we come to him and say, Father, forgive me, for I have transgressed. One thing after another begins to crumble in the fabric of Christianity without the uh, resurrection. All of the truth kind of falls apart. And we're really left with nothing in our hands afterwards. But There's something I want to leave you with that I think has an important meaning that I hope will be an encouragement to you. This comes from Councils for the Church, page 55. It says this, Jesus has not left you, Jesus has not left you to be amazed at the trials and difficulties you meet. He has told you all about them. And he has told you also not to be cast down and oppressed when trials come. What what does she say? (laughs) Look to Jesus, your Redeemer, and be cheerful and rejoice. Jesus is not lying in Joseph's new tomb. He has risen and ascended to heaven. There to intercede in our behalf. We have a Savior who so loved us that he died for us, that through him we might have hope and strength and courage and a place with him upon his throne. He is able and willing to help you whenever you call Upon him. Praise the Lord. You know, sometimes I believe we go through our Christian experience as though Jesus was still in the grave. As though we were serving some dead God who did amazing things back 2,000 years ago. But we need to remember, brothers and sisters, that we serve a God who is no longer in that tomb, but he is in heaven now working on our behalf and he is there to help you. We are not praying to a dead God, but we are praying to a God who bends his ear low when you fall into trial, when you fall into difficulty, when you come into that crisis at the close. He is bending his ear low to hear those prayers. He is willing to aid you. He is willing to help you. He is willing to give you victory. He is willing to help you keep your eyes on the Lamb wherever he goes. He's there to help you whenever you call upon him. And it's because Joseph's tomb is empty that the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world is worthy of being followed. For if he was still in the grave, we wouldn't have a leader. Be like all the rest of the pagan religions out there following after men instead of our living God. It is because Joseph's tomb is empty that Jesus' example is worthy of being followed. And it's because Joseph's tomb is empty that Satan is a conquered foe. I read this this morning. The book Desire of Ages, page seven hundred eighty-two. When he speaking about Satan, when he saw Christ come forth from the come forth triumphant, he knew that his kingdom would have an end, and that he must finally die. Somebody ought to say amen to that. That's good news. That's part of the gospel. We're told that Satan was there at the grave when that stone was rolled away. We're told that his angels were hovering around there, probably doing all within their demonic power to try to keep that tomb closed. But they couldn't do it. And as Satan saw Jesus come out of that tomb, not a man acquainted with sorrows and grief, not a man who was scarred and marred by human abuse, but a man, a God who was coming out triumphant from the grave because he had conquered the enemy of this world and provided salvation for lost humanity. And at that point, Satan knew it's a done deal. It's over. And so now he has changed his tactics. And he said, if I'm going to die, I'm going to take as many people with me as I possibly can. And so that's his job now. He doesn't have anything to lose. He's not getting back to heaven. And so he's going to do whatever he can to try to get you to become discouraged, to try to get you to fall, to try to get you to let go of your hold upon God. He's going to bring those trials and darkness into your life. He's going to use the same exact tactics on you that he used on Jesus in the last 48 hours of his life. And that's why it's imperative as sons and daughters of God that we follow the Lamb, that we keep our eyes focused upon Him. That's why Jesus says, look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. If you forget everything I said in our time together, don't forget Revelation 14.4. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. Before the resurrection, there was a cross. Before the triumph, there was a cross. There was depression. There was darkness. As she said, God told us that this is going to happen, so don't be surprised when it does. But he says, I have not left you alone. I am with you always. Before the triumph comes, and it's coming, brothers and sisters. Do you believe that? Before the triumph comes, there will be crosses to bear. I don't know what those crosses are going to look like in your life. But Jesus says, if any man come after me, let him pick up his cross daily and follow after me. I don't know what those crosses are going to look like. Maybe you're bearing that cross right now. Maybe you bore it with you as you came into church this morning. Maybe you were carrying it with you all week long. And and as you carry that cross, that burden, you wonder to yourself, why is God allowing this to happen to me? Don't ask questions like that. If Jesus asked questions like that as he was going through the trial and ultimately the cross, why is God allowing this to happen to me? He would have let hold of his his hand on God. He would have lost his hold on his heavenly father. He had to keep his eyes on the fact that he was doing his father's will. Let those trials do what God intended them to do, and that is the refining of your character to become more and more like Jesus. Keep your eyes on the lamb. We don't have much time left in this world. We know that Jesus is coming soon. We profess that as Seventh-day Adventists. We tell other people about it. We preach it from the mountaintops. We believe it, but are we living it? If the time is coming and Jesus is coming soon, are we really following the Lamb wherever he goes? I know that you want to, and I know that many of us are. My prayer to you this morning and my challenge to you this morning is don't look in any other place. Any any other thing that would capture your gaze is only going to distract you from the goal of heaven and triumph one day. Keep your eyes on the Lamb. Carry those crosses and ask God, Father, give me the strength to do your will and not mine. Is that your desire this morning? Lord, I want to follow you wherever you lead me to go. Help me to remain faithful to you until the end. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we are grateful for what you have done for us that you have provided a way where this world doesn't have to be all that we have to look forward to. And, Father, we carry around burdens. We have trials that we go through from day to day. But, Father, may we not forget that we serve a risen Savior who is in heaven right now who all power and authority has been given to, and that that power and authority is there at our disposal. If we would reach out with the hand of faith, we could experience victory and triumph as Jesus did. So, Father, go with us, I pray, as we go from this place. and May we keep our eyes on the Lamb of God. We thank you